Tell us, tell us a little bit about you and your family, what your roots are here in the Bay Area, and then we'll get into some, uh, some of your vision and ministry uh, okay. uh, activities in a few minutes. Yeah, I was actually born here in San Francisco, just down the street, um, and uh, my mother died while she was giving birth to me, and so I never really lived here. They sent me to Hong Kong right after that, and um, so I've been gone living uh, in Hong Kong, then uh, northern in Stockton, and then uh, Southern California for probably 30 years, and then moved back up here about uh, three years ago. Wow, that's great. And how did faith come into the equation for you? And, and when did it come in? Well, I think after, because uh, after my mom died, years later, my dad remarried. And then my stepmother died in a car accident when I was around eight years old. And then my dad got married again. And then he died when I was 12. And so in junior high, you know, I, I already got pretty serious about thinking about life. And I... The weird thing about me is I think I think about death more than anyone in this room. You know, I, I think it's just growing up that way. I don't take tomorrow for granted. It, you know, even as I'm, I'm praying before coming up here, I'm going, Lord, I don't know if I have tomorrow. I'm assuming I'm going to come back and teach in the morning, but I go, Lord, I, I really don't know. So God, please make the most of every moment. Take my lips right now and just have me say whatever you want me to say it gave me a new urgency in life to where when I was in junior high and high school, I, be, I became a believer in high school, the reality of death and eternity in either heaven or hell was everything to me. I mean, I, I, I started sharing my faith with all of my friends at the public school. Uh, I'm the kid that opened the yearbook and started calling every senior I knew because I thought, you know what, I may never see you again and this is all I care about. If life is this short, why do I even think about anything else? And that's really when I, I started pursuing ministry was in high school, just out of a burden for my friends. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so how, did, how does your faith show up in day-to-day -day family activities? You've got five children, mm -hmm. right? And you've been married for how many years? 20, uh, January will be 20 years. 20 years, so fantastic. Tell us a little bit about uh, what life's like at home and what those kids are doing. Well, the kids, Man, they're all in public school. I'm a big public school advocate, not because I love what they're teaching there, but um, I just, you know, I got saved in a public school and believers were in there and they reached out to me and I got to reach out to others and I saw that type of thing and if the light's taken out of there. So I'm, I'm really just raising my kids up to minister in their classrooms and I couldn't be more proud of my kids, uh, the way they stand up for Jesus, especially in the culture out here. Um, a lot of things we do, we do together. Um, last night, Halloween, you know, we had, we had an outreach in an area called uh, Bayview Hunters Point here in San Francisco. It's kind of the gang-infested area, a lot of, lot of killing every, every day, really. And um, so they're with me doing a big Halloween outreach and uh, trick-or-treat type of thing. And... Um, I just take them with me wherever I go. I try to. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you dress up as last night? <laughs> it's just a Chinese guy. <laughs> hey, I won first place. Hey, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. yeah. Good job. That's awesome. Uh, t tell us a little bit about uh, your journey uh, from the startup church in Southern California to 
yeah. coming back up to Northern California, taking yeah. your family abroad, doing all of that. What did, what did that journey look like? Yeah, so right after I got married, I, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to start a church, which was a shock to my wife because uh, we never talked about it. And so two weeks, you know, we come home for two weeks after our honeymoon, and I go, honey, I feel like I'm supposed to start my own church. I, there was some conflict. Uh, you know, the senior pastor of the church I was at got kicked out. Um, a lot of quarreling in that church. In fact, they kicked Ortberg out a few years before that. <laughs> we come from the same roots. And, uh, and so there was just so much, like, ah, tension. And I thought, you know, I just I can't take this anymore. Everything I read in scripture, like what the church is supposed to be. And, and so I looked at my wife. I said, can we just start in our living room? Can we just have a few friends in our house? And I just want to worship. I don't want any games. I don't want anything else. I just want the real thing. And um, so we started a church out of my house. And uh, it started growing. And I, I don't know. It was just a unique thing the Lord was doing. Um, but uh, I ended up being there for 16, 17 years. Um, it grew to thousands of people. We started planting churches. We started a college. Really great times. But it just came to a point where I felt like, okay, I really felt in the Lord saying, you, you've done everything you can do in this city of Simi Valley, and it's time to move on. And um, so I... I just have all these ideas of the way church ought to be, and, and I felt like I resonated so much more with the church in China or India and um, with the persecuted church and the, the intensity of the way they believed and the way they lived their lives. And, and so my wife said, you know, why don't we just pack everything up then? Let's sell the house, pack everything up, and we'll just move to Asia, and we'll just go from country to country till the Lord tells us to stop and we'll live there. I'm like, man, you're amazing. She was pregnant with our fifth kid at the time. Wow. Okay, so imagine me taking my four kids and my pregnant wife throwing up in every country, you know, and just, <laughs> we'd walk through the slums of India and then we would just pray and go, God, is this where you want us? You know, and, and just, where do you want us? Where do you want us? And um, it was, you would think that it would be the most insecure time in my life to be, you know, 40-something years old, you know, wife and four kids, pregnant with our fifth, no home, but I cannot even tell you how much peace I had. So much peace every day going, God, we will literally go anywhere. We have nowhere to go. We have no home. You are our home. We'll go anywhere. I, I, I just... When, when, when we were in Hong Kong and I felt like, gosh, I think this is it, you know? I think we're supposed to stay here in Hong Kong and we're looking at apartments, looking at uh, schools for the kids. I really sense the Lord saying to me, it was one of those few times in life where I didn't hear an audible voice, um, but I really felt like the Lord impressed on my mind some things I didn't finish uh, in the U.S. and that I was supposed to go back for a season. And... Um, and so we came back not having anywhere to go, and my brother had an apartment, a one-bedroom here in San Francisco, and, and that's really how we ended up here, um, was just going, I guess that's the Lord's leading then, you know, and there's a place, and we came here, and once I got here, I don't know, it was like the Lord opened my eyes to, this is, this is where you're supposed to be. 
um, at least for now. And so that's how we ended up in San Francisco and started a ministry uh, about a year ago in an area called Bayview, Hunters Point, um, here in San Francisco. And I've been trying to plant these house gatherings, house churches, and uh, multiply leaders for that and uh, disciple guys and raise them up for ministry and just still kind of figuring it all out. So, so talk about what you saw in China that inspired you and that you think is transferable to the United States. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you look at what happened in China. We all marvel at it because, okay, you, you've got really the same thing happened in, in Russia as, as it did in China where communism comes in, but you have in Russia, it killed the church. You know, they take out a few leaders from the major cathedrals, and the church pretty much just stayed stagnant or died. And then you have the same thing in China. And under communism, the church grew to an estimated 100 to 150 million people because they had been taught discipleship. And so everyone had this responsibility of now that I know Jesus, I've got to pass this on, and I've got to disciple the next guy, and let's keep doing this over and over and over again. Um, and I just go, gosh, it didn't cost anything. They were multiplying rapidly. I understand there have been some theological issues that have kind of gone awry, but I go, I don't see why that can't happen in the U.S. I, 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 I feel like we have a lot of wasted resource with people who could be leaders, um, but instead they just sit and listen. And it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I look at my children, and when they, want, when they turn 18, I want them out of the house. Um, I do, you know, I, I mean, if they're having issues, but, but for the most part, that's my job. I raise them up and I teach them how to work and have their own job. It's not healthy for me to say, hey, just live at home as long as you'd like. You know, I'll pay your allowance. I'll, I'll, I'll do everything. Just, just stay here with me. And I feel like that's the way church uh, has become here, where you've got people that have been sitting in the pews for 30, 40 years. It's like the 40-year-old in your basement playing Xbox. You know, it, it's like, man, go out, lead someone, teach someone. You should have your own family by now. And I believe, I believe that's what's happened in the church. We tell people, hey, come sit under my teaching till you die. I got you. I'll raise your kids for you. I got a great kids ministry. I got youth ministry to teach your teenagers. I got singles ministries. You know, I, I got everything for you. Just bring the people here. We'll disciple them rather than in those places where the persecuted church is happening. Every believer seeing their own responsibility and going, man, I've got to figure this thing out. And so I'm just believing the church. What we need to do is act more like a family to raise people up just like I'm looking at my kids and I'm going, I am raising you so you can stand on your own two feet. That my job as a pastor now is to raise my people up to where they can stand on their own two feet. If they were the only believers in San Francisco, they would know how to share the gospel. They would know how to baptize. They would know how to disciple. They could start their own gathering. And so we're taking guys out of prison, guys off the street, and saying, you know what, I'm going to make you pastors. I'm going to make you fishers of men and really go back to uh, what I believe Jesus intended for all of us as believers. And I think that was my frustration in Simi Valley was everyone started looking at me as the answer. And I'm trying to say, no, the Holy Spirit's in you. I'm not going to go to your workplace and tell your friend about Jesus. You do it. You know, I, I'm not going to raise your... You, you know, I just remember as a youth pastor, people kept 
complaining about, you know, what I was doing as a youth. I'm like, you screwed up your kid. You know, I, I'm trying to, you know, it, it's like, why are you looking at me? Like, you are to raise your children. Let me help you somehow. And so that, that's, uh, that's kind of really where I'm at right now is how can we get everyone doing what God's empowered them to do really believing that we are temples I, I, like the Holy Spirit of God is inside of me so what what can I not do I mean I mean you look at those 11 people and, and Jesus is saying look I want you to get the message to the whole world and now you I, I was looking at a church of four or five thousand people and I was doubting that they could each reach one person that next year like, to me, that would be, oh, that's impossible. One person each. But I was looking at the structure of the church. We, we couldn't fit any more people. And so I felt like I was failing in some ways because I couldn't figure out how to get those 4,000 people to multiply. I, I felt like I was successful when I had 40 people and they grew the church to 400, or when I had 400 people and they grew to 4,000. I mean, that's great. That's 10 sales each, you know, but now I have a sales force of 4,000 people. That's a very expensive sales force. And for the next year to get to 4,100, that's not success. That's failure, right? Yeah. That's a waste of a lot of money. And yet that's when everyone said, oh, you're so successful. I'm going, no, 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 now I'm not. Now I'm failing. Now I've got 4,000 warriors and I can't get them to do uh, what Christ called us to do, which is go and make disciples. So let me see if I can't pursue a new way. Um, and it's a huge vision. It's scary. It's over my head. But I, I like being in that position because I go, okay, Lord, this is... I mean, even being in Hunter's Point, Bayview, working with these inner city people, I, I mean, it's just crazy the way they've grown up. Mom's a prostitute. I carried a gun to school every day since I was eight. You know, I'm this, that... This is such a new, I've never even smoked pot. You know, like I, I don't, I can't relate. I, I got drunk like maybe once after a Bible study. You know, so it's just, everything is over my head. And then here I am thinking, you know what? Let's change the way we do church. And it's so over my head, but I love that because I go, okay, Lord, these are the things I want to devote my life to. Things that I know are out of my control Whereas I felt like the old church, I could pretty much control it. I could get people to show up on Sunday morning. I could make a service feel good. Um, you know, it's like, Lord, give me something over my head where I want to experience you every day. Yeah. So, so far, this has been a really tough interview for me. Uh, just <laughs> try, trying, to, trying to draw you out. But oh, sorry. I'll, I'll keep trying. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep trying, but... So where, where is this vision today, and what are the next steps? Yeah. I, I mean, what, what's happened so far is, uh, I, it's happening to you a lot tonight. You say, like, two words, and the other guy preaches a sermon. It's good. Um, but uh, I started a church. My, my heart is for the church. I, I just am a local church guy, period. I love the church, love the church. Um, started a church out of my house about seven months ago, and telling everyone in there, look, I'm not going to be your pastor forever. Um, I probably will only be your pastor six months to a year. 
and you're going to hate this because we, the 20 of us, 20, 30 of us, we're going to live like a family. I want, I want 100% Bible where we're giving the shirt off our backs to one another. Just like there were no needs in that early church, I want this to be that. We're supposed to be a body, an extension of one another. And, uh, and church is not going to be, you know, you show up and I'm going to preach you a sermon. I said, church is going to be more like going to the gym rather than going to the movies. Okay, it's going to be about what you put into it. We're going to read through the Bible in a year. You are going to read through the Bible in a year. You're going to come having already discussed the scriptures with other people, caring for needs. We're going to go out. We're going to do outreaches. We're going to knock on doors. We're going to share our faith. But we're going to live as a family, but only for six months to a year. We're going to get so tight, and then you're going to want to kill me when I say, hey, it's time to split. And I'm going to be discipling and raising up a couple of leaders. And then they're going to be your pastors. And we'll split into two or three churches. You know, and then we're going to keep this process going. Because if we don't do that, we're going to become this little ingrown house church. And that is not what I came to do. You know, we're going to multiply. And so about a month ago, we, we were just too big. So we said, this is the time. You know, you guys aren't completely ready, but you're close enough. Go. You're going to, we're going to have two churches now, and I'll probably start another one and split that, and you guys prepare. And so I've been uh, training these men in theology and some hermeneutics, getting them ready for this. And, uh, and it was painful, but it's been the greatest thing. And now these two churches are thriving, and they're getting ready to split because, you know, one of them is getting too big. And I'm going, okay, let's keep this thing going. Um, we don't have all the answers. We're still figuring some things out. Um, but I believe in elder leadership. I believe in the authority of the word of God. And it's been so cool. And one of the pastors is a guy that just got out of prison two years ago. Um, I met him on Market Street. You know, this guy comes up to me all tatted up on his face. And he goes, aren't you Francis? You know, you know he was in a halfway house. And he goes, I, I watched you in prison. You know, we did your DVD series. And we started to get to know each other, found out he had a wife and three kids, and he was about to get out of the halfway house. He, he'd been in prison pretty much for 12 years. Um, he had a little bit of a break in there where he had a couple kids. and then, So uh, we invited him into our house, and you know, I said, honey, look what I brought home. Um, an ex-con, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> comes with an ankle monitor. You know, it, it's just... <laughs> And it was a stretch for our family, you know, having four daughters, you know, and inviting this guy and his wife. And we've got like a 1,500 square foot house. And so it was like the 12 of us in there for like six months. And they just became our best friends. Um, he is, I, I, I love him to death. He is my dear, dear brother. I said, man, scripture says you're supposed to be my brother. And so I wouldn't let my brother live in the street. If my brother had his wife and three kids, I would invite him into the house. So, you know, when I saw that this man was genuine, I said, come on in. And six months, got into his life, dug deep. My wife started discipling his wife. Our kids are best of friends. We all went trick-or-treating together last night, you know, and got him out in his own apartment. And now he's, um, he's one of the guys leading one of the churches. And I go, this is awesome. This is, this is, this is huge. I believe in this guy, and I, I want guy, God to pick people like that and raise them up to be leaders so that we go, man, I don't have any excuse. Why can't I shepherd 10, 15, 20 people um, and hold down a job? This is, this is what I'm expecting guys to do that are coming off the streets, and I believe that this could be uh, the future of the church. Huh. Uh, talk a little bit about your uh, personal 
devotion. How is it that God speaks to you? Uh, what does your day-to-day walk with him look like? Yeah. And what, what would be transferable from that to a group of business guys? Man, I'm telling you, that is the only thing that keeps me centered, okay? Because, you know, I was thinking as Lincoln was leading the last time, one of the last times I heard him lead, man, I just broke down um, because it was at a conference and there were magazines on every chair. My face was on the cover. There were posters with my face on it. And, and I walked in and, and just saw that and there was this pride in me that was kind of excited. Wow, look at that. I've made it, you know, this and that. And then he just starts singing, uh, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And God reminded me of all the garbage in my life where I should have been. And, and just, just this time where I'm going, God, you know, I'm becoming everything I didn't want to be. You know, I, I'm into myself. I'm glad that these people love me. I never wanted to be this guy that was into himself. And, here, and I was just crying like a baby. I mean, not, not little, little tears and little teary-eyed, like snot running down my nose. Seriously, on the front row, on my face, just screaming. You know, because the music's not, I'm just screaming, God, this is not who I wanted to be. I never wanted to be this guy. Now suddenly I'm taking the glory away from you. I'm taking the, the attention off of you. See, this is, this is what I get when I'm alone with the Lord and I'm focused on him. And it's so huge because, man, I'm not used to this attention. I was not used to this. I was just a guy living my life, loving Jesus on the campus, trying to win my friends to the Lord. And there's something so pure and real about that. But it's crazy how the world gives you a little bit of success. And even in the church, and now suddenly you like the admiration of people and you forget who you are in the presence of God. And so it's only during those times alone with the Lord that he humbles me and brings me back and says, Francis, who do you think you are? Man, you're only breathing right now because I let you. And now you're glad that other people are thinking about Francis Chan rather than Jesus Christ? You know, I, I, I'm telling you, getting alone with the Lord in the word, man, this is everything, everything, everything. Um, man, yeah. Awesome. So, so you've, got, you've got 330 business guys staring you down right now. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to say to them about their walk with Jesus? What kind of a challenge? You have a great illustration, the rope illustration, yeah. where it goes on for 100 feet and only one end, five inches or whatever it is, yeah. is painted red, and that represents your life on earth. The rest of it is your life in eternity. How would you challenge these guys to spend that, that life, that, that red part of the rope? You know, I would say this. A lot of you are leaders, and as leaders, people, people treat us differently. The people who are successful get treated differently in a bad way. Um, people don't, maybe people aren't totally honest with you because they want something from you. You know, I, I've only been rich for a couple years. 
So I, you know, it's, it's new to me. You know, suddenly I write this book, all his money comes in, I'm like, I can't give it away fast enough. But suddenly there's this like, people started treating me differently, acting different around me. Um, and it's just so not healthy. And when people want something from you and desire something from you, they're not gonna confront you. They won't confront you on your sin. They'll make you think that you're so great, this or that. And even pastors will want you in their church. So it's like, okay, don't, you know, I, I need that from him. You, you know, there's just this, you know, I, I really, unless you can see through all of that and stop listening to the voices out there of either the critics or the flatterers and just say, Lord, what do you, what do you want from me? I'm here to please you and you alone. Like you've, you've got to have that. Um, we get lied to all day long. Um, all day long people lie to you and tell you you're something you're not. And then you start believing it yourself. And that's why, again, I'm begging you, get in this book. See what it says about you. Um, you know, really, I mean, that's what that, that passage um, in Revelation 3 where he says to the church in Sardis, he goes, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. That's what Jesus says. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And there'll be many people that will say to you, man, it's so good. You're the successful businessman and you call yourself a Christian. Man, right on. They're just excited you claim the name of Christ. It's like when a great athlete says, oh, yeah, and praise Jesus. You know, ah, oh, no way. Cool. Look what, you know, Miley Cyrus said. You know, it, it's just, it doesn't matter who they are. It's just, oh, they mentioned Jesus. And, you know, the Christian community goes, oh, cool. They mentioned Jesus. And that's what people will do to you. They'll go, oh, look at that guy. He has a business and he calls himself a Christian or he put a fish on his business. You know, and that's all you need to do. And they're going to applaud you because other people aren't doing that. Whereas Jesus says, hey, are you ready to follow me? Do you hate your father, mother, your wife, kids? Do you, do you love me more than all? You're ready to pick up your cross and follow me? If not, you're not, you're not really worthy to be my disciple. And I just wonder how many people really say that to you, um, rather than how many people kiss up to you and give you messages you want to hear. And so I just beg you, man, read the words of Jesus. Look at what he says about your life. And I don't mean that to be a downer. I'm saying, man, when you lose your life, and you truly repent and give it up for the name of Jesus, man, you're going to find life. You're going to find this amazing adventure, but you've got to be willing to let go, and it's so much harder when you have more. Last illustration, and I'm done. I, it's like this. Okay, years ago, I was single. I was just about to get married. I got this new Mustang, and uh, I had to speak at a winter camp up in Utah for a bunch of high school kids. On my way there from Southern California, I got a ticket um, in Barstow for speeding. And I thought, oh, man. But I thought, you know what? I got the solution. Vegas is, you know, half an hour away. So in Vegas, I figured I'll just win all the money back. <laughs> and um, I ended up losing everything. And then got back in my car and got another ticket on the way to Utah. <laughs> I had two tickets. I, I was a real good speaker that weekend. Um, but I remember when I was in, and this is, I, I, don't, I don't really gamble anymore because now that I believe in the sovereignty of God, I go, that's stupid. He's not going to let me win. Um, <laughs> but back then, you know, my immaturity, I just remember I was losing everything and I had $2 left. And I just put it on the blackjack table. I'm like, all right, see what happens. 
I win, it's four bucks, then it's eight, 16, 32, 64, Oh my gosh, $128, you know? And I remember my buddy was next to me, he goes, you, you're not gonna do it. I'm like, oh yeah, watch this, let it ride. You know, and I just remember my heart is pounding. I'm going nuts, because I'm thinking, if I win this hand, I get to pay off that ticket, you know, and then I can get another one. You know, but I just thought, I am gonna, I, I gotta win the, you know, I ended up losing, but, um, Sovereignty of God. And, uh, but, but I remember how different it was. When I threw the two bucks down, no big deal. But when it was 128, it was like, man, this is significant, you know? I, I mean, I was just out of seminary, you know, everything else. I, this was huge to me. Um, yeah, my seminary's real proud of this story. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of where we're at, you know? A lot of times we'll risk things when we're 18 and go, you know, I'm going to go on the mission field, do something crazy. But then as things pile up in our lives, we get married, we've got kids, we've got some money, we've got some assets. Now to say, let it ride and bet it all for the kingdom, it was easier when we were 18. And now to take that jump and know that Jesus wants the same thing, because I don't care how many millions you've made, I want you to be ready to sell it all, maybe even tonight. It's not unlike God to say, just give it all to the poor. Start all over. Do whatever. I'm not saying that's ways. I'm, I'm just saying it's a lot harder when you've got that much sitting right in front of you at the table to just slide it all in and say, I'm all in. It was a lot easier at 18. And I'm just saying, Jesus still wants the same thing for you. And if you're willing to lose it all, you're going to find a life that's so far beyond it all. Hmm. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, so wrapping up, first of all, I, so many things to unpack in what you just said. Yeah. Uh, but I'm convinced that J.R. Kerr's been lying to me. And so maybe you can help me with him after this. And we'll get it figured out. But uh, these, guys, these guys need this challenge. You know, you've been successful. Uh, you know what it's like to have discretion. These guys know what it's like to have discretion. But you're bringing that discretion under the obedience of Christ. And, uh, and that's the challenge to us. So in closing, how can we pray for you? I'm just in over my head and everything that I'm doing right now. This whole vision for the church and what I see church being so far over my head. These people that I'm ministering to that I just absolutely adore in uh, uh, Hunter's, Hunter's Point, man, I've just, I, I, I wanna see revival there. And again, it's, it's just, it's the supernatural. I, 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 I don't wanna just, I don't wanna do anything the same thing as an unbeliever could do. I just don't want to live that kind of life. I believe if the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God is in me, I should see things that I should look back at life and say, I could never have done that. I don't know of a human being that did that in the flesh. Only by the Spirit of God. If I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, I want to see those supernatural, because that's what I live for. I don't want another normal day. I don't want tomorrow to be normal. I'm not just a normal person. I've got the spirit who spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of me. And so I just want to see those supernatural results on a regular basis. And so I want to put myself in that type of position. So pray for that. I mean, I mean, everything else is fine. I just want to see 
miraculous things, supernatural things. To me, that's, that's all it's worth living for. Yeah, so let's pray real quick. Okay. Uh, Lord, we're really grateful for Francis. We're grateful for his partnership with us. We're grateful for his friendship, Lord. We're grateful for the example that he is of walking with you, Lord, and his boldness uh, in uh, communicating, Lord, the gospel. And we ask, Lord, that you would just uh, cause revival to happen around him. We pray that you would proliferate this home church vision that you have given him. We pray that many uh, would come into ministry and serve, Lord, and love and preach and teach. Um, and Lord, just do works of service beyond belief. Uh, but we ask for the supernatural to happen around us here in the Bay Area. We thank you for bringing Francis to us as a new friend, and we're grateful for his availability to us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.